Do you guys have like an opening spiel? I'm Lemon. I'm Sponson. And this is Nymphomercial, the podcast that goes into hentai both enthusiastically and regrettably. But today we have a special guest, Sponson. Hello. (laughs) Good to be on here. Thank you for inviting me today. I mean, I personally have been a fan of your work for a very long time. Uh, And now that we have Lemon, the big like show number here, we we can finally get you on. (laughs) I'm, I'm being outshone right now. I feel like uh, Sponson has definitely got the bigger clout than I have. Well, I, you know? I, <laughs> I'm the opposite. I feel the opposite way. I, I feel like you're the one with the clout now. Oh, no, we're just cloudy. Stop. Oh, but continue. <laughs> I mean, no, it's true. Everyone loves your um, shapeshifter comic. It gets reposted a lot. Everyone has their own editions on it, you know. But if if I may, I feel that Sponson, you have the bigger technical skill. Um, out of the artist and I feel that if I'm more popular then I feel it's a crime against your reputation (laughs) oh thank you the truth is that there are a lot of artists on Twitter who are incredibly technically fantastic right superior but they don't get nearly half the clout they should because it's not about how well someone does something it's about how relatable or how uh, appealing it is to the audience yeah, it's all about the algorithm deciding who gets to be the star of the show, really, isn't it? Well, to a degree. Yeah, I mean, the algorithm is definitely very frustrating, um, especially if it's pegged you one way and you can't quite shake it, you know? Yeah. Oh, but, you know, I see a lot of artists that I think to myself, you know, they're technically not that, not that uh, wowing, but they have, like, four times my following they have you know 100,000 200,000 plus followers and it's just because again their art is just a lot more approachable a lot more appealing mm-hmm. and so while i may be technically proficient that to me isn't enough to be popular i will say you do fit a very specific niche oh absolutely just as an example when the nifomercial server started coming together we started making all our boards uh i had to create a channel called absolutely wild and i believe the first post in there is i just directly posted your tweet of the girl who's like oops lost all my bones hilarious (laughs) um yeah so for uh listeners who aren't familiar with your work um do you want to give like a, a quick summary I draw, I mean, quite obviously, erotica, um, not safe for work, uh, porn, but I focus on exaggerating heavily uh, certain features, and it's a uh, genre called hyper, uh, as in hyper-sized, and so I, I draw men and women with genitalia that's impossibly large. Yeah. Among other things as well, uh, some off the beaten path. It's more of a foray into what sexuality means to the audience, what it means to me. Um, since my characters of these sizes couldn't possibly exist, like what does it mean to then consume that media if it couldn't possibly exist, right? Um, what are the limits 
of our own imaginations, of our own tolerance. Like, how, how do I draw these things that are so absolutely wild, yet captures the imagination of the audience? And that's the sort of thing I, uh, I like to explore in my art. One thing about your art, in the sense of unrealistic proportions and everything, I love how you've done both sides of it in conveying uh, these characters reacting of like, oh, my God, what's happening to my body? Like humans shouldn't have dick nipples bigger than your arm. And then you've also conveyed the other side where it's like, well, yeah, my vagina is the biggest part of my body, but that's just normal. You've inspired the imagination of like, oh, what would it be just like that being normalized or like, what would I do in that situation? You you take sometimes just the same concept as another piece you've done, but add this like completely different subversion of like the reality it's in to a way that like really just gets you thinking again, even though it's the same topic. I did want to quickly interject. Listening to your um, podcast with Emmy on Curves and Conversation, I believe you once called your type of art like sort of uh, arrow horror, um, sort of reminiscent of like maybe other contemporaries like Junji Ito. And I can definitely see the influence of like using very like suspenseful paneling in some of your stories. Uh, do you feel like that still applies to you? Yes, uh, I definitely still enjoy this horror sort of um, horror subgenre in my work because uh, it ultimately boils down to how we perceive things, right? There are a lot of imagery out there, which is just a picture of a girl with, you know, big breasts and absolutely zero acknowledgement of the breasts, both from the illustration itself and narratively. And so, in essence, those big breasts don't matter at all. They're not being acted upon. They're not being observed. And um, that to me always felt incredibly flat. I guess to explain it, just it's not enough to just draw them large. It doesn't mean anything if you don't do anything with them. It's uh, low hanging fruits. Um, if I can be so mean about it, uh, <laughs> I hundred percent agree with this point, and I'm glad. Like I'm not the only one who thinks it because. Um, this does seem to be a, well, uh, my personal uh, grievance with a lot of hyper art is that there is no um, reality consequence of like genitals or any other body parts being of this size and how that means for the sort of like the infrastructure, the uh, the social relationship of like being with somebody who has hypergenitalia. There is no like consequence, you know, to it. Exactly. And that sort of like detaches you from like, you know, oh, okay, well, all right, they can be whatever size, I guess it doesn't really matter. But to see, and I like the way some of your characters um, have like strong expressions towards the reactions of this reality. I'm like particularly impressed by your uh, line of sensibility comic. Like that one's a perfect example of how like the reality of these like very uh, grotesque uh, changes, not like a sort of like disgusting, but like, you know, the typical definition of grotesque as yeah. in like, you know, to be obscene of reality and how that sort of like, you know, is depicted and such and how like a person experiences that. When you think about it, there really should just be more prominent horror in some of these like erotic transformation comics because it is reality being askewed. And definitely I feel like you're, one of the artists out there that understand completely that there needs to be some sort of consequence or, you know, like people adjusting to this aberration to a reality in some way. So one of the main driving forces behind this idea of consequence um, is my thoughts on puberty. 
Mm. Now, puberty is something every adult has gone through, right? It is literally the rite of passage into adulthood. Mm-hmm. And uh, but what is puberty, right? It's a series of changes that your body undergoes a sexual maturation. Mm. The thing is that nobody ever consented to puberty. It's just something that happens to you. And what's happening to you is your body becomes sexualized without your consent. Because it's not a thing that needs consent. It's not a living being. It's just a thing that happens. And so uh, we all like to think we're masters of our own body. The mind is a temple, etc. But there is something quite horrific about these sort of transformations that uh, happen to literally every human being. Well, I can't say literally every human being now with, you know, puberty blockers and all that. Uh, so forgive me if I overstep some lines there. Yeah. Um, but you have to understand that uh, we, that the great majority of the population just goes and says, yep, that's normal. What are you going to do about it? And that's, uh, that's something I brought into my art was, all right, so you take this, this person and you sexualize them again, right? And so by increasing the size of the genitalia to something that's unhideable, that's, that can't be ignored, uh, you know, what, what, do you do, what do you do with that? It's, it's just a thing that happens. There was no consenting to it. And now they're even more sexualized. And do we see that? Should we see that the same way as we see puberty? As in, yep, that's just a person. Don't worry about what's happening to them. The sexual, you know, uh, the hypersexualization of them is natural and normal. And that's just like the physical part of puberty. But with puberty, there is also the mental aspect of now you get horny all the time. Now you think about the opposite sex. You think about doing things you normally never would have. And it takes up a lot of our time and a lot of our energy, right? We have people chasing after girls nonstop. And isn't that kind of horrific where these sort of chemical changes fundamentally alters who we are, changes our thought patterns, our proclivities? You know, what does that mean, again, if you take a normal adult and hypersexualize them so that they think nothing of nothing but sex? Is that horrific? I, I guess I wanted to mirror something that everyone experiences every day and really show it for what it is, which is a transformation that we have no control over, but we accept as normal. Lemon and I were talking the other day before our transformation episode, and it got me thinking about how a lot of your art never or not never, but a lot of your art is post transformation, doesn't show the transformation process. I think it really clicks because you aren't presuming necessarily a transformation that's unthought of. You're like you said, you're doing second puberty again. It's something we've all or a majority have gone through and we're just seeing it again under a new lens and being magnified so we can really observe it. And so you almost don't need the, you know, essential before because we've already experienced that as ourselves. And now we're just kind of being able to relate to these things that are beyond human possibility. It's not about the transformation. It's about the end results. In the past, I think I would say that I'm a fan of breast expansion. And I obviously still am. 
But as the years went on, I started realizing I just already liked them when they were big. Them turning big was just a bonus, you know? And so for me, it's less about the transformative act. And, and again, it's more that, uh, you know, what is this final result? If you go out into the world, you see these people who have already gone through puberty. And so you should see these people who are hypersexualized, already hypersexualized. I know a lot of artists that, you know, deal with hyper, but without a lens of even uh, transformation. And I like how you really have shifted specifically to this um, transformation is always implied in some way, whether it's just the clothes they're wearing couldn't possibly fit with what we're currently seeing and different things like that. But yeah, everything is there just to consume instantly instead of any process. Now, Personally, I, I really like process, but I think there is such a different um, feeling of looking at this type of content. So like, you know, both Lemon and, and Sponson here, you both do, you know, what some would say is the same genre, but it's executed so differently that it, it's hard to even look at under the same lens because everything you just said, like this is all about what is uh, the the result and, you know, kind of thinking the the after the fact and really mirroring some of the early human experience of puberty uh yeah definitely um i guess when it comes to transformation art in our generally like with some sequences i do like to focus on the sort of like the process and stuff like that i mean i think a lot of art uh, transformation artists out there would like to just like really take their time and just show very incremental increases to it when it comes to like my uh, transformation art i very much like to focus on the sort of like the pov i guess of the character and to understand how does a certain person feel uh, during changes and how they emit or reject and such so it's on there i think like i'm very attached to like the emotional process of it and i think the physical part comes secondary to me I love seeing such wide range of diversity of these kind of things in like the erotic art community. And I love how both of you really take the time to think about these things. You, you both mentioned essentially utilizing the themes as part of composition to make the entire thing complete rather than, you know, the breasts are just there to exist. The, the breasts do convey something, you know, in Lemon's work, it's often like the, the process of these breasts turning huge. And for Sponson, you know, it's often the process or the, the thought of now I have these, even though I didn't consent to this. And it's just such a good way of highlighting everything. And I think both of you, do that even in artistic style. And so I really want to get into that um, about yours. And unfortunately, this is an audio medium, but everyone listening, highly recommend just going to the show notes and pulling up the link so you can follow along. But um, Sponson, your your art, I've been trying to come up with the words for it, the, the like rendering style. And I feel like it's as if you used claws to make the softest painting. There's like this certain like, level of abrasive scratchy texture deeply hidden in this like soft painting and rendering that has a uh, a constant like bloom to it do you think i'm describing that right yeah um <laughs> and i think it's it's one of those things where it is hard to describe you know it's one of the je ne sais quoi 
Uh, there's just a certain feeling to it that's very hard to describe. But my sketchy process, my, my sketching process is incredibly rough. I start scribbling shapes, general shape. You know, in the sketch process, I'm not married to cleanliness. I just scribble. And as I keep scribbling, I begin to tighten up. And that's why you will see these uh, figures that are rendered with such a scratchy, chaotic underlayer. That's because I build up from noise into something coherent. Very punk, to be honest. <laughs> <laughs> it's punk. like a, a punk melody, you know? <laughs> that's, that's your new uh, genre descriptor. The punk arrow. <laughs> like, if I was to put your art into music, I just, like, see someone in all punk playing a, uh, like, really classy cello, you know? <laughs> I am a fan of ska punk. Yeah. Um, just uh, throw some violin in there. It's all connected. <laughs> you know, I feel like you really put your art out there more on social media than... Um, some other erotic artists do as far as process goes, because I've seen the sketch version of almost all of your finer renders, I believe. Um, and it's really interesting to see your timeline for that too. Well, but, uh, you know, do you want to key us in on like kind of your process of like where a piece will go from sketch to render and like the, the time and what else is being worked on in between? Oh yeah. Yeah. Um, so for me, drawing is just drawing. It doesn't matter what medium I use. I can draw on paper, I can draw on the computer, I can draw with the stick in the sand. And so those fundamentals will carry over regardless of the medium. Um, given that, I have always been a paper sketcher. I've always liked the tactile feeling of pencil on paper to different types of paper, you know, like I love stationery. You, you've got your printer paper, which is different than your sketch paper, which is different than newspaper which is different than mixed media, and so on and so forth. And the same pencil will take differently to those, those papers. And there's something that's so alive about that. The, the textures that come from them can really give a drawing a feeling that uh, you can't capture artificially. Like, I can go on Photoshop, I can apply a paper texture over my imagery, but it'll never quite be the same as having drawn on that paper. Yeah. As subtle as it is. And so what I do is during my other job, and I really shouldn't be saying this, but I draw in my sketchbook. We can bleep it out. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we'll censor it. Yeah. Yeah. You know, I've got my sketchbook. I draw while I'm on hold on the phone or if I have time, you know, on break. And so that's why you see there's so many drawings in a physical sketchbook is because I'm actually somewhere else and not at home on my computer. I feel like just the tooth of any paper, if, especially if you're uh, someone who draws with your wrist rather than your elbow or your shoulder, I feel like the tooth of any paper is so tactile that it just even changes how you draw a curve. And mm. with your sketching process being so much of just curve after curve laid down to refine the silhouette, I can imagine how that impacts your stuff so heavily. Oh, yeah. Like um, the toothiness adds a bit of uh, resistance. And if I were to draw on your standard printer paper, I do draw very differently. The way it takes the pencil, the way my pencil glides over it, um, do have to control your muscles slightly differently. But at the end of the day, like I said, drawing is just drawing. 
and you just kind of you you draw to the medium as well you don't force it yeah i feel like your baseline style of sketch has just improved and, and you know stayed very very true to itself like i look at a lot of your old work and i recognize the i guess like shape language um mm. as the same as, as what your current stuff is but of course with like heavy improvement uh, you're just always getting better but i feel like your rendering style has gone through such a major shift in the last what 10 years like um you went from you know correct me if i'm wrong but kind of like a, a toonie style to now you're you're very heavily painting in your final renders i feel with that that strong bloom oh yeah um i don't necessarily want that bloom as much as i do i think that's actually a sort of crutch on my end here really so as I've explained, my sketching is my strongest uh, skill. The sort of chaotic goop, the the connecting of the dots, you know, that's that was always my strong point, capturing energy and life in the sketch process. My issue throughout, you know, my earlier career was that uh, every time I tried to f bring it to a finished state, it was flat. And it, you know, I killed the sketch effectively. And I spent a long time, I spent a lot of energy, a lot of thinking to try to bridge that gap. You know, what, is it, what does it mean to sketch? What is it about the sketch that makes it hard to bring to the final version? You know, is it all the little lines? Is it the different line weights? Now, how heavy you handed you are with each line? You know, there's a lot of ephemeral things that aren't going to necessarily be the answer and so in the last five years i i finally started cracking that code with like you know custom uh charcoal brush being able to paint because the act of painting is very similar to the act of drawing uh which is different to the act of of uh lining and what i was doing before was doing the act of drawing and then doing the act of lining Whereas now I keep that same rendering uh, language from start to finish. You know, I, I draw and then I start painting and my hand movements don't change. I'm just drawing with colors or painting with lines. And that was the big bridge I had to gap. And of course, I had to develop a lot of skills to get there. I can point to a period of time where I was simply not very successful at it. Um, I even got some complaints on Patreon. <laughs> and uh, yeah, um, but I eventually uh, cracked the code. And that's where this very rendered uh, style comes from. I couldn't imagine ever complaining to an artist about an experiment, even if it's like ongoing for a while, because you never know what it will lead into. And I feel like your current style as it is, is very cohesive in all elements from narrative to like shape language, the, the visual rendering, the lighting, the, the texture. It just all fits very well with itself. Thank you. Uh, composition is my other very strong point. Never had issue putting an image together to get the viewers to look at what's important. Uh, yeah. Large genitalia excluded, you know. 
<laughs> I mean, even your your earlier work, uh, when you were working with more uh, flat colors and stuff, you definitely used value to kind of navigate the eye uh, in the the scenes before the large til- uh, genitalia came. So <laughs> it, it seems like you've had this composition skill for a lot longer before the the rendering skill, which, you know, I, I would say is a good order to have because I've seen artists that can render really well, but don't know composition at all. And it can just be kind of hard to really stay on their work and appreciate it as easy as it is to look at yours and just kind of lose yourself in it. As long as, you know, you're not getting like skin crawlies from watching a girl chomp down on sperm the size of a burger. <laughs> I have to say, as someone asexual, um, your work will either just like really dazzle me or sometimes just make me feel just icky, but like in a good way. Like I always love your stuff, but I just I love looking at something and just feeling, you know, horror. Yeah, it it makes you feel then. I've done my job. Like yeah. just because it's an erotic picture doesn't mean you can't feel different things. They're not exclusive. Mm-hmm. It's very true. I mean, I I'm so lucky that uh, you know, I have two of uh my favorite artists of like all time here on the show because uh both of you have always conveyed the this sense of feeling in erotic work. I mean, that's kind of why I got into the whole like erotic scene anyways, because artists like the two of you will show more than just like, hey, big tits horny. <laughs> like there, there's a sense of more, you know, whether that's thematically or uh, narratively, metaphorically, narratively, stuff like that. And I think the fact that you you do have sort of a painter's style works really well because it you know, looking at some of the stuff you do kind of takes me back to when I was in art history class. And it's like the dog in the corner actually represents death during this time period. <laughs> and, and so, like, I'll, I'll look at your picture and I'm just like, well, I think the clitoris the size of a baseball really like represents the idea of sensationalism more so than like gender identity for this girl right now and what she's going. Yeah, it's uh, it's the idea of being seen when you don't want to be seen, the, the idea of being unhideable when you just want to hide. Uh, I focus a lot on these sort of paradoxes, these sort of contrasts between elements uh, where we want one thing. But we know it can never be that. It has to be this other thing. Yeah. I do want to get into your your safe for work stuff. I feel like a good transition to talk about uh, to get there is I notice you deal a lot in fantasy, like your your um, token esque fantasy, both in safe for work and non safe for work. Is there like reasons behind that? Or are you just like the biggest like Dungeons and Dragons, Magic the Gathering, Lord of the Rings nerd? Yeah. Okay. <laughs> Both. <laughs> I mean, just, uh, just, yeah. <laughs> yes. So I grew up with, um, with Magic the Gathering and World of Warcraft, and the fantasy elements always captured me as, uh, as a way to escape. And so, quite simply put, I like escapism. I like escapist art. My art is supposed to whisk you away to somewhere else where, where it's better where it's less stressful. 
Even though we literally just covered that some of my, you know, not safe for work art is incredibly horrific and traumatizing, but at the end of the day, you know, you can see it, you can look at it for the erotica that it is, you can look deeper for the narrative that I put in it, um, or you can just look at it to escape. Yeah, there, there's a lot of bridge stuff like, you know, we've talked heavily about the more like weird and alternative like hentai-esque work you've done. But then I've seen like also erotica stuff that doesn't push in that direction, but is like a fancy one, one of your favorite works of mine. Uh, and I love uh, so many of your like really like finished and rendered things. But there's this one work you did that is just this girl elf that's like leaning over and holding a bow and she's like kind of just straddling in a little bit and like you don't even notice some of the like sexuality to it until you start looking and you see it's like oh she's like kind of humping it a bit and then you look a little bit more and you notice the negative space in the composition is actually representing the fact that like she's in a pool like up to her her shins and then like you see the drip come down and then it kind of be conveyed of like, oh, is she like been so wet? She's completely flooded this place. I, I don't know. It's it's so different than some of the the other stuff I see. But I feel like it's such a bridge of like this hypersexuality to some more conventional like sexual uh, imagery to purely just the the fantasy safe for work imagery you do. And so that's why it's always been one of my favorites. I have no recollection of that drawing. <laughs> I was wondering. I think it's been years. Uh, I, I have it saved somewhere. I'll, I'll dig it out and send it to you so you can reflect after the show. I always love that. But um, yeah, do you want to talk about some of uh, the current stuff you do in the safer workspace? I tend to only draw safer work material when I'm in a very specific mood of needing that escapism in art. Um, in a way, me drawing the picture is me escaping into the picture. And so that's how some of these come to be, especially like a bunny quest uh, where you have the little bunny figure romping through an incredibly rendered uh, forest with the river running through it. And now just this idea of being away or running away, a transitory nature, which is why a lot of my safer works, uh, again, are fantasy. Or of pictures of, you know, creatures, characters looking wistfully into the sky or background. It's a lot of ephemeralness that I that I seek to obtain. Hmm. I think it's so interesting when looking at some of your safe for work and not safe for work side by side, how you can look at a piece or two pieces that have the, the same rendering style. But it just conveys so differently just because of the subject matter. And I think to accomplish something like that is just wild. <laughs> I just like drawing. Like I tell people all the time <laughs> that I'm an artist first, a pornographer second. How long have you been drawing? Uh, since I was a wee little boy. Okay. So as long as I can remember. Um, but I didn't take it really seriously until, I don't know, um, that I was like 10, 11, around there. And at that point, I knew I wanted to be an artist for realsies, you know, went to college and all that jazz. And, and now here I am, many years later, doing the same things I've always done, just better. Mind if I ask uh, what some of that like education background is then? I went to college for fine arts. Oh, okay, that tracks. Yeah, should have seen that. Oh, 
Wow. A four-year degree, bachelor's. I had to write a thesis. My thesis project was also a children's book. I partnered with my religions professor, and uh, he translated a, um, a Buddhist folktale, more like a Hindu folktale, into English, and I illustrated it as my project. But at the end, all the profits made from selling that book goes to a school in Ladakh for underprivileged children. Hmm. Seen a single cent of that, nor should I. It was just a great project to work on. Uh, I did want to ask, um, Sponson, what do you feel is like your stylistic inspirations or is there a certain artist or art style you're trying to evoke? Since just from a casual perspective, I feel like you definitely evoke the sort of style of Nils Ham. We'll just link in the picture just in case uh, uh, Milk or Sponson might not be familiar. It'll be in the notes too. Yeah, yeah. So there's definitely like this very like painterly style, but also a use of very like warm tones and such. And uh, I did want to talk about this quickly before we moved too far away from uh, style and sort of uh, development process. But I really like uh, this picture in general. Again, we'll link this in the show notes so everyone uh, can see it, but I'll try my best to visually describe it here. But it's a character. I'm not sure if it's a established one or just a original creation, but she seems to have uh, fallen down on her huge butt and then huge titties exploding out of her chest. But it's the composition and very key points of this picture that like are 100% Sponson. This is like the peak Sponson picture, I feel, because... You got your warm tones, you got your very like body uh, rendering sort of rim lighting and such. Because uh, you were talking about how like during the process of like learning to draw better, you might have to sort of confront your fears of taking these bigs, um, big artistic decisions. And one of those for me, I guess, was um, like the use of ambient occlusion. Or like, you know, to use like heavy uh, shadowing to like somewhat obscure the form. And the way this picture is shown is like it's the subject um, uh, with their back towards like a very bright, illuminating light. And what that does accomplish is sort of like it darkens the rest of the figure and like doesn't exactly obfuscate it. But like it um, I think it draws your attention in more and to examine it more and to sort of like really appreciate the form here. So what would you feel is like, uh, I guess to bring it back to the original question, what do you feel is like your inspirations then? My inspirations, um, some of these might come out as, oh, wow, yeah, I can see that. And some of these might, you know, uh, seem way out of left park. Mm. Uh, but uh, let's see. I would say some of the biggest, two of the biggest ones is uh, Hiroyuki Emaishi. Yeah, I, I, I can see that. Yeah, Guren Lagan, <laughs> Studio Trigger, and uh, mm. Yo Yoshinari, also of Studio Trigger. Uh, one okay, of the that's... things that you might notice that Studio Trigger or previously Gainax that uh, that they were produced is you had the sort of uh, wholesome uh, style, right? Like um, Little Witch Academia mm. or uh, Brand New Animal. That's Yo Yoshinari. He has a way softer style, but it's every angle, every line just screams energy um, and form. And, you know, Imaishi does the same thing, but his is way harder. Uh, I'm sure that a lot of the um, 
uh, commercial cuts that he did for Gurren Lagann, you know, with the hard blacks, uh, yeah, the, the, yeah. the very shapely forms. That's like him. And so those two have definitely inspired my works a lot because of their ability to show form and energy quite effectively. Mm. Yeah, also the very cute girl faces. I can definitely see that. The very cute girl faces. Absolutely. <laughs> it's showing that yeah. you can mix cuteness with badassery, you know, with action. Mm. A lot of things aren't as exclusive as you might think in the beginning. You know, ero horror, erotic horror. Like, what does that mean? Right. Well, it's erotic. And it's horrific. <laughs> like, they're not exclusive. I mean, the cute faces really sell the expressions you do to to show how they're reacting. Yeah, it's a it's the idea of uh, the contrast. You have something that's incredibly lewd and then you have something that's incredibly innocent. And how do you uh, you know, how do you uh, join those two ideas together? Because it's one thing for someone to just draw a bimbo who's just who just oozes sex, you know, um, physically, mentally. Everything is just geared towards being a bimbo or a, and I, I don't want to say this. I don't like to throw out the word like horror or a slut. It's okay. We can edit it if, if it's uh, too bad. <laughs> well, no, I just, I just want to, I just want to point out that I don't necessarily think of those derogatorily. Yeah. I mean, the, mm. there are definitely artists that their goal is to make characters that um, portray the idea of just sexually focused beings uh, of like any persuasion versus you know like yours aren't quite that direction expand on that we can all agree or and again i'm using all generally we can all agree that a steak is good right we enjoy eating steaks yeah uh unless you're you know vegetarian vegetarians I, do not interact <laughs> i mean there's vegetarian steaks They're yeah not there's just <laughs> i'm just saying that you can enjoy your favorite food and you might be able to eat that all the time but too much of one thing will desensitize you mm. to the very thing that you enjoy, right? Yeah. And so in order to kind of mix it up so that there's something to cleanse your palate, that there's something to offer, you know, um, complementarily, you need to put in those other elements. That's why, you know, uh, mm. You want steak and potatoes and vegetables and a drink and you want a variety of things because variety is what allows you to appreciate the main course. Exactly. And so when everything is just sex, 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 then it loses any sort of dimensionality to it and it becomes very one note to me. It's like, okay, great. You know, it's back to the same issue. It's just a person with big tits and nobody cares. It's not important to the drawing um, because neither the artist nor the figure acknowledge it. They just don't care about it. Exactly. In a way, it's only important meta-wise that the viewer sees that it's big and that's, that's almost like it. That's all it has to offer is that it's there. Um, going on your metaphor, I want to say that your uh, stuff really is like that dinner. Like you've got the wine to pair with the the steak and stuff like that. But you know, sometimes you just want a bag of Cheez Its. Oh yeah. Um, oh yeah. <laughs> so like that's what some of that less dimensional stuff is. Like sometimes, like hey, I just want to look at 
big tits and and not uh, have to get too caught up with it so I can go to picture and picture and picture. And there's nothing wrong with that. No, no, there's nothing wrong with that. Yeah. Sometimes you want to sit down and really enjoy it, whether you're you're getting off to it or, um, you know, like challenging yourself by looking at it and just like getting the goosebumps or you're just like really admiring everything that's in the composition. Um, sometimes you need that full gestalt of a piece and. I, I love seeing that you are constantly putting out so much content that really fulfills that need. I don't want to sound like, you know, I, uh, I guess I have been already sounding like I'm on a high horse where you're like, yeah, you need to have so many elements in your picture for it to be successful. It's like, no, some of my more recent pictures are just, you know, empty calories. Mm. Uh, here's a picture of Marnie, Pokemon, aged up 18 plus. She has big tits. She's just standing there. <laughs> no real background. It's knowing if you're doing that or not that makes the quality, I would say. You know, an artist can be good and just pump out kind of less dimensional stuff, I think, as long as they're aware of like the content they're they're making and they can take full pride in that but it's the the knowledge i feel like that really makes the difference well i would certainly hope that people know what they're doing or like understand the actions they are taking like you don't have to know what you're doing but you can un acknowledge that you're doing something right yeah um and then you can question yourself further as to what those actions mean yeah, you know, all the loot out artists out there listening, just really quick, go print like five of your pieces, go tape them to the mirror or around your face and just, you know, reflect for a bit. Just be be aware, <laughs> light some candles, make sure no one comes in the room because it will be unexplainable. You you'll lose that friend. Light the candles at the dinner table. Put a veil on. Do a full body print. Out. Yep. <laughs> So here's a good question then, Sponson. What would you say would be like the ultimate uh, vanity project for you? Speaking generally as an artist, I feel like sometimes we have to like, uh, we have to pendulum between drawing something for us uh, versus drawing something that we'll know will just garner a mass interest. But say now, you know, that pendulum sticks to one side and, you know, you get this huge, uh, I don't know, big cash funding to sort of like, hey, I want the ultimate, I want you to make your own like sponsored comic book, art book, whatever, you know, here's your salary for a year to take care of that. What do you feel like you would do with that opportunity? I would uh, write and draw a graphic novel featuring some of my safer work characters about, um, unsurprisingly, about escapism. Hmm. Okay. It's, uh, I, I have... I have a world, I have these characters in my head that I would love to make a graphic novel of, um, you know, about their struggles, what it means, what it means to be oneself, mm. what it means to be with others, um, what it means to be in the world. Okay. And I would, uh, I would, I would explore that. Is it safe to assume you're a fan of Evangelion? I have uh, never watched Evangelion. <laughs> really? Okay, so uh, that might be something you might want to check out. I feel like if you go watch it, there's, it's going to be visible in your timeline on Twitter. Like, <laughs> uh, <laughs> well, no. Oh, I'm no stranger yeah. to watching things that that screw me up uh, pretty hard. I uh, last year I read. Um, 
what was it called? Good night, pun pun. Oh yeah, Sumi pun pun. Oh, yeah, yeah I just got the yeah. first volume of that one. Yeah, that. Um, and I'm, I'm afraid to continue onwards. <laughs> that fucked me up. <laughs> yeah, that's some that's some uh, rough stuff. Uh, speaking of manga, is there any other uh, certain books or volumes that you really like? Or? Oh yeah, yeah. Uh, it, it, this will actually tie in with um, my inspirations. Uh, Yusuke Murata. Uh, very, oh yeah, very famous for his uh, for his various works, but particularly of uh, One Punch Man. Mm. So here's uh, here's something about uh, one the the author and Murata, um, the illustrator, is one has such fantastic compositional skills, absolutely mind blowing. Um, just from panel to panel, from page to page, the pacing. Just the way he formats mm. the ideas and concepts is just so top level. And he is an incredible inspiration for me uh, in, on that regard. Art-wise, not so much, but he literally proves <laughs> that you don't need to be a great artist or even a good one to put out amazing work. If you go and read exactly. One Punch Man, the, the webcomic, not the manga, you will you will look at the art and be like, "What am I looking at?" And then you'll read through it, and all of a sudden, the quality of the art doesn't matter. He has captured your heart entirely through words and composition. And uh, Murata, uh, I mean, what, what can you say? He's one of those technically brilliant artists who just understands what they're drawing so well that he can put out so much of it. And I study his line work a lot, especially when it comes to motion. Yeah, it's uh, Murata is like some sort of like otherworldly talent when it comes to art artistry. There's that one infamous panel of um, or panelings from One Punch Man where uh, Genos and Saitama spar off each other against each other, and the way the panels are done, it's look like animate animation cells, even to the fact that you can like actually put them in an animated GIF and it looks like, Oh yes. Um, yes. Visual animation coherence. It's unreal that like someone does this casually and <laughs> again, to emphasize his skill, he once said that he had to take like a little hiatus from updating one punch man, which, you know, I don't know how he cranks up so many pages a week, but you know, and then in his hiatus, he's like, uh, yeah, I just decided to animate an episode. Oh, <laughs> you know? Yes. So, like, it's just unreal of, like, his skill ceiling, you know? Yeah. Um, it's like, where do they pull this energy out of, right? Like, you know, right? And the, the use of perspectives, the use of, like, um, kinetic energy and motion. Um, like, I think I can definitely see... Uh, and an influence of that in your style. There's a lot of pictures where, like, you can tell um, where a character has just turned their head or, like, what position they were in before, like, a sort of inciting action has got their attention. You know, there's definitely a sense of, like, flux mm. in a lot of your work. And I think that's what makes it even more captivating, you know. And it definitely, you know, expressions on the face are one thing, but, like, body language is, you know contributes a, he a heckle of a lot more as well yeah i mean you can see the the weight of something even if it's being depicted as moving like um the the picture lemon was referring to of the office girl her breast is like flopping up 
but without like really even heavy action lines or anything, you can tell the weight of it and like motion and stuff. Like it, it's just all conveyed. Yeah. It's uh, uh thank you very much for noticing that it, <laughs> the idea that a picture is still is uh, that it's unmoving, you know, doesn't mean it has to feel that way. And again, with the contrast, right? So we look at a picture visually, but then how do we feel about it in our minds? Um, how do we how do we interpret a picture, right? And so some of my pictures deal with smell. It deals with humidity. Um, it deals with with noise. For example, uh, I have this picture of a girl lying in bed. And she's lifting up the cover, oh. and there's it's a, it looks like a grilled cheese sandwich. Oh God! Being yeah. Apart. And I really wanted to play with uh, this visceral feeling, and I see it in comments that like uh, people are squicked out, you know, that they go, "Oh, that looks so uncomfortable," and that to me is great because they're imagining the feeling <laughs> of the warm goop over their body, of this humid air, of the smell of the juices soaking into the bed and what it means and how would it feel to be there. Mm. And I have done that through eyes alone. I, that's actually one of your pieces. I can't even look at. (laughs) (laughs) And like you describing it, like my arms are just riddled with bumps. (laughs) You could braille a novel on me right now. Oh God. I mean, yeah. You never had a grilled cheese sandwich, <laughs> milk, oh, you know? no. <laughs> right. So uh, you want to play with dimensionalities uh, that's just beyond sight. Um, and the, the layered complexities of folding concepts one on top of the other of motion, of emotion, of uh, tactile feelings, and concepts of bizarreness, you know, casualness, lewdness. Uh, try to fold so much into one picture to sell it as being as real as it could be. Yeah, that's definitely, um, <laughs> like, goes without saying, but, like, I think it's thoroughly accomplished. I think even, um, you know, uh, you mentioned something about using, like, warm tones as a bit of a crutch earlier, but, like, I feel like with our subject matter, when we draw, like, you know, hypersexuality, there's definitely the, you know, the unspoken aspect of heat, you know, oh, yeah. there's a lot of like flesh in the room. So like, you know, temperature is just going to rise naturally. And this is perfectly conveyed when you use like, you know, strong pinks, oranges and yellows to sort of like really get that feel of like, oh, you know, I can I can feel a lot of this in this. I can probably smell exactly the humidity being emanated here forth, you know, so it definitely accomplishes that, I feel. Thank you. Uh, it wasn't the, the temperature that I was complaining about. It was the sort of bloom, everything. Sometimes I feel like I overdo this sort of blooming light of everything being hazy. Um, I, At the end of a picture process, I, I blur the whole image and I start cutting away on what I want to be sharp. Oh. Oh, okay, I got, like now that you say that, that like that makes a lot of sense now. <laughs> <laughs> so it's uh, it's contrast through sharpness. Mm, Just I, like there's contrast uh, through temperature, contrast through uh, complexity, simplicity, textures, etc. There's a lot of different ways to achieve contrast to guide people's eyes around. 
Um, right. Yeah. Cause you definitely use like sort of depth of field as a sort of like design oh, yes, uh, yes. process. Yeah. Yeah. I can, I can see it now. Yeah. Now that you just said that, I was like, Oh, that clicks now. Now I I've Sharon Gand your art style, you know, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, you know, you've seen um, it now. Now you can <laughs> not see it. <laughs> Yeah, now I just have to eliminate you. I'll be the best artist. <laughs> <laughs> wow. uh, yeah, but um, uh, do you want to talk about MTG tokens then, Sponson? Uh, so, I mean, the thing about MTG tokens is... Um... <sighs> really quick, Magic the Gathering, for our audience oh, yeah, who sorry. doesn't know. <laughs> for, for, sorry, I guess maybe let's re- rewind it a bit back then. So um, Sponson occasionally dabbles into uh, Magic the Gathering uh, token art, where tokens are sort of like game pieces that represent a card that doesn't exist inherently in the game. Right. And usually these are like, uh, you know, I guess as a use of the word token usually means like a token uh, soldier, cleric, you know, uh, beasts and stuff like that. Angels. So like um, whenever artists usually draw arts of tokens, it's usually like their interpretation of just that word alone. You know, what does an angel look like in the eyes of this artist and stuff like that? So um uh, sponsor when it comes to that sort of uh, aspect how do you approach that and what sort of where do you go with it uh, so there's going to be a lot to unpack here because okay. uh, the idea of a token right is uh, it's a game piece that doesn't start with the game it's created through other effects of the game and so in a way it um, it's not important it could be it could be represented with a glass marble it could be represented with a quarter it could be anything and the idea of giving this ephemeral piece, this ephemeral game piece that didn't have to be anything at all, uh, so much energy and effort and treatment, uh, is liberating. It could be anything you want it to be, because the alternative is having it be nothing. Um, and going into this, when you think about a game piece, you have some, you have rules and guidelines and uh, rules to follow, right? The card has to be so big to match the Magic the Gathering card, but it Mm. doesn't. But you want uniformity. Do you want uniformity to match physicality? Do you want it to match stylistically? There's a lot of things you can think about, about how you want your art to be interpreted relative to the game itself. Some people go way off you know, and they just do their own thing. Absolutely no reference to Magic the Gathering. It can stand on its own. Others prefer that it's familiar, that it wouldn't look out of place in your Magic the Gathering game. Uh, when I do a token, um, I would like to think that it wouldn't look too out of place in the game, but still have it have my flair. Um, so I push the boundaries a little, you know, I, I give the characters big breasts, but I don't make them the central focus. I don't make them obviously jutting out. It's something you have to take a second to look at to notice. Uh, and, and that's just me and my preference. I don't like it when something is just unabashedly horny. I like it when it's makes you think like, hmm, like what's going on here? 
<laughs> yeah, your your goal is for the uh, viewer to have like one hand going to town and the other hand like stroking the chin, right? Like you. Oh. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's the contemplating. Yeah, you know, you you play the token. It's not going to disrupt gameplay. People will look at it and they'll just see a one one human soldier, and the game moves on. And then they might take a closer look and go, "Wow, she has some big tits." And then they're like, "Great, it's fun to look at." Uh, so it needs to serve as a game piece first. And then kind of art second in my eyes. I feel like you're disadvantaging yourself because you could go unethical with this and make it just ridiculously horny. So they're too distracted and you can get like an edge while playing. Uh, but that just falls back to the same problem we were just discussing. When they're just large to be large with, with no reason other than to be large, it's not exciting. It's just wank bait. Yeah, but, you know, some people play just fire decks. So, you know, same thing. <laughs> uh, hardly. <laughs> <laughs> some of my friends, um, they like my art. Uh, they would love to see me make tokens for their pet deck. I have here an elemental. Uh, it looks like a wood spirit sprite kind of creature. And it's got a gratuitous amount of breasts. but. It is a wood nymph first, and it's for my friend's deck. You know, he's the Titania Protector of Argos, mm. for those in the know. Um, very specific creature. And uh, I had to design it around that sort of idea, too. Mm. So now that they've done the My Little Pony collaboration with Magic the Gathering, are we Ooh. going to get some MLP tokens? Yeah, we did get My Little Pony cards, yeah. Yeah, yeah that was uh, for charity many years ago. Yeah, so are, are you going to make like some some busty rainbow dash to to token into those decks? I don't draw ponies. <laughs> okay, okay. <laughs> well, I mean, as a commission, I've done like a few times, but they were like humanoid pony people. But I haven't just drawn uh, a pony. I I couldn't imagine okay. the. the I, I feel like the the parallel of like uh the proportions of mlp in your style and the things you you do to subvert anything you get your hands on would uh be eldritch at the very least yeah i draw a pony like rambo dash but the hooves would just be hyper realistic <laughs> yeah. but just the hooves <laughs> and i would like that i i think the token <laughs> would immediately like catch on fire when being like rendered into reality <laughs> <laughs> it's a it's just um it's a fun way to express myself uh with pragmatism attached to it because it's usable a lot of the art i make uh i like to imagine are usable in past just looking at it which is why i like erotica so much is because there is the whole you can wank to it you can appreciate it on that erotic level but if it's not for you you can also appreciate it for its it on its artistic level very much so most definitely uh, so we've uh, you know dived into your erotic and safer work uh, and you know lemon was asking about like what would be the biggest project you you would work on and stuff but is there uh, anything else we haven't touched on as far as like projects you're working on that you'd like to kind of get out there i used to draw so many erotic comics they are so so energy intensive to yeah. produce and draining would be the word I, yeah uh, yeah it, uh, <laughs> goodness i i wish i could draw more 
at some point during my development, I strayed away from graphic noveling and therefore the comics and more into these rendered paintings. Mm. And uh, and so since my mind is, you know, on track with the rendering, it's hard to break away and go back to comicking. Yeah, because it's it's hard to sustain that render quality, I would imagine, if you are doing multiple pages. I would have to break it down into a more simplistic, um, the more simplistic style, which I tried to do with uh, the second Halloween comic where the witch drops a potion of growth on accident on the unsuspecting people. Ah, uh, yes, I, I know that one. That was pretty uh, good. Yeah, it's, yeah, I mean, that's all there is to say about it is... It was okay. It was. It wasn't. It didn't feel like any of my older comics where it actually felt fun. It's just a thing that happened, and I'm not too happy about it. It just mm. didn't capture what I wanted out of it. I thought it was good, but I I do like some of these shorter little sequences. Like you've you've gone to like two or three pages that really convey mm. things well, while still, you know, staying very close to that full rendered style. Yeah, that was a compromise I made to myself. If I can't do, uh, you know, eight page, 10 page comics, I may as well make a two or three page comic. It basically reduced the shouldn't say reduce, uh, compact the concept I want uh, as efficiently as possible. Do you think there's a, a direction you're heading into since you have kind of all these different paths? You know, you're you're doing these full renders, but you also have like some desire to like alter your like bloom. But you've also, you know, say you wish you could do more comic stuff. What, where do you think you'll be going next? That's a good question. Oh, good, because I thought I worded it horribly. <laughs> where do you see yourself in five years? <laughs> yeah. Oh, God. You're. Oh, God. Oh, no. Why do, why do you want to work at this company? What sponsor? kind of tree are you? <laughs> <laughs> what kind of tree? If you were a hamster, what kind of food would you eat? Before you meet John Nymphomercial, you need to answer these questions. <laughs> if I was a hamster, I would eat other hamsters. That's what oh, they, no, those are gerbils, right? Gerbils do that. I mean, Ger- all small mammals do it. Okay, fine. Do they do that? Is that real? Yeah, they just eat their babies when they're stressed oh, that's i mean oh okay yeah even just physical stress from giving birth i had to give my mice hot dogs when they had babies so they wouldn't eat them uh anyway uh, uh, so to, and actually uh i'm gonna tie this answer back to um uh, you know, on one side is the artwork you want to do for yourself and the other side is the artwork that um that's low-hanging fruit that's accessible for everyone. That's easy to consume, yeah, yeah. right? You do for them. And uh, <laughs> there, obviously there are overlaps. It's a Venn diagram, right? And uh, to, truth be told, as much as I complain about the algorithm and uh, wishing I could just draw a bunch of uh, low-hanging fruit, I actually don't end up doing that. I just draw what I want to see because nobody else will draw it, which is why I'm so niche, which is why I have so much going on in my pictures is because I want those things in the smut that I consume. But it's so hard to find that uh, the, the, the media to consume like other people just don't do it. Or if they do, it's like it's either missing some it's, it's missing one thing or another. Well, whether it's the technical skill or the conceptual um, skill. 
I feel like that's a driving force for many uh, alternative hentai and uh, transformation artists because there are so many directions thematically, execution-wise, rendering, just in every single aspect of this type of content that you're always going to be wanting something a little different. And unless you're like a suspiciously wealthy furry, sometimes you just got to bust down and start drawing it yourself. Yeah, um, that's what it boils down to. Just you want it done right, do it yourself. Yeah, sometimes <laughs> you can't find a, a, a hentai podcast you connect to. Uh, so you just have to dedicate your whole life to it. I, I know the feeling. Be the change you want to see in the world. Exactly, exactly. <laughs> and I'm I'm forever, you know, grateful um, of all these people who decided that they also really, really liked my stuff for what it is. Shout out to your patrons. <laughs> Shout out to my patrons yeah. for uh, letting me do this uh, like way more than I you know, ever thought I could. Um, that I uh, am able to feel successful, you know. It's just the fact that even though the stuff I produce is so self-serving, um, other people can enjoy it. Mm. I am curious because your fan base is, is quite large, I would say. And you do have a, a backing that is uh, financially supporting you with Patreon. But I'm very curious of how uh, a large, like non-financially supporting audience has affected your work. H- how would those like, you know, just being numbers, they don't necessarily contribute directly to support. How's that affected like your process at all? If it, it has. Uh, oh, boy. I mean, numbers go up, make dopamine hits go good, right? Uh, in a way, it's it's only quantitative, not qualitative. It tells me how many people are following me, but it doesn't tell me how much they like me for my stuff. I would like to see the number get bigger because big numbers feel better. But I can't say that that number has affected what I draw at all. Because I still draw a bunch of weird-ass niche stuff. Yeah. Although it sounds like uh, comments really drive you when, uh, you know, you get things that feed into showing like you have successfully executed what you wanted to put out there. Oh, yeah. Um, Likes are just you hitting a button to save into your folder. And I do appreciate the interactive, you know, the the interaction with likes and reblogs, but ultimately comments are the best thing that I could get on a picture. It's someone someone deciding they wanted to share their opinion with me uh, on this art I made. And that takes uh, a sort of commitment, energy, you know, that they liked it enough to interact verbally with it. Especially in the erotic scene, because, you know, some people, uh, you know, feel like they can't, really be themselves about how they react to erotic stuff in public sense on the internet. Uh, I know some people will do like their, their own like private Twitter or something like that. But I I love that nowadays it's becoming more accepting. So like someone could have just their normal Twitter, but then they'll reblog like one of your things and be like, look how cool it is that this girl's breasts are bigger than the room she's in. (laughs) Definitely uh, sex positivity has helped a lot. Uh, with uh, the acceptance in drawing erotica. 
yeah, hopefully that just uh, keeps growing um, and artists are going to continually getting uh, support because, yeah, it's uh, it's one thing to have a big following. It's one thing to get uh, financially backing on something. But, um, you know, as, as someone who makes content myself, at the end of the day, getting feedback just is the best feeling for me, at least. It's uh, a building sense of community and, uh, you know, just seeing things went the way they were intended. It feels real in the sense that if you had a picture, just get like a million likes and absolutely no comments on it. It just feels <laughs> empty, right? Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. But think, think of it the opposite way. If you had a pic, if you had a thousand likes and a thousand comments, that would be absolutely overwhelming. <laughs> <laughs> like you wouldn't you just wouldn't comprehend it at that point you know you wouldn't be able to appreciate everyone's uh, thoughts on it you know mm, not yeah, me you would I'm be built different forever <laughs> <laughs> i'll read them all i'll speed read <laughs> yeah, but I'm, I'm i'm looking through some of my posts on twitter and it's just like yeah this has a below average amount of likes but it has an above average amount of comments on it and i'll look at something else and it's like great it's got you know it's got twice as many likes, but half as many comments. And I just think to myself, what's going on here? It just means that, you know, again, uh, the, the quantitative is not the qualitative. Hmm. The, the people who commented really like that, really like that piece. Um, but the people you know, with a lot more likes, uh, the piece with a lot more likes does not necessarily mean that they love it as much if they don't comment as much, you know? Yeah, obviously, that's not a one to one truth either. Yeah, there, there's always circumstances that could be leading one way or another. But if, for the most part, yeah, it's uh, the appreciation is really shown when someone speaks about it. I think what really mm. needs to happen is one day we just get a, a infomercial gallery somewhere and just like host artists there. So uh, we can see the IRL space. You know, you get the people walking by stroking their chins. Ooh, that'd be kind of cool. Yeah. I mean, get a gallery show going. Right. And then you get people to print out their pictures on large scale canvases. Mm -hmm. And then uh, have people walk through this uh, erotically charged uh, gallery. Oh, maybe. Maybe that's uh, coming in the next year, then. I do know a lot of flom peeps that can make that happen. Yeah. But Ooh. until that happens, uh, where can everyone find you and support you right now in the digital space? Oh, they can find me on Twitter, on uh, twitter.com slash PWC Sponson. Um, and uh, my Patreon oh. is the uh, same thing patreon.com slash pwc sponson and i know uh lemon had a question about rumbling gear is that right oh yeah yeah so uh some galleries uh i've seen of yours have the name rumbling gear and i think is that another alias uh could you elaborate once upon a time when i was a young boy <laughs> i was on deviantart and i was just known as sponson and I started getting into Fuda, and then I was banned. <laughs> I came back as Rumbling Gear just to, you know, rebuild myself back when DeviantArt was all I had. Mm. And then I eventually thought, no, this is dumb. So I re-rebranded myself to PWC Sponson. Ah. And that's why 
some of my older works will have, say, Rumbling Gear when I was in that transitory phase. Right. Where does uh, Rumbling Gear come from, then? Uh, a bunch of random nouns and verbs I pulled out of my ass. <laughs> <laughs> I was... I thought it was like... Dude, dude. I thought it was like, oh, maybe they're a really cool mecha fan. Have you but, oh. heard, like, 14-year-olds trying to name things? <laughs> Yeah, yeah, my my old like uh, PlayStation username was Justice Pose. So yeah, yeah I get you. Yeah. <laughs> I had a Gaia account named Ember Ice, and I thought it was so cool. Oh God, Ember Ice! <laughs> <laughs> I love oxymorons. Ember. Yeah, I'm like the frozen flame in uh, Chrono Cross. If you ever played that, uh, there you yeah. go. But uh, yeah, in case you're wondering, the PWC are my initials. Uh, pe- some people call me, you know, PWC, and it, just call me Sponson. It's gonna be Sponson. Has anyone ever called you Pook Sponson? <laughs> what? Like the um, phonetic way to say PWC, Pook. <laughs> what? <laughs> like, you, PWC. Yeah, ha- if you say it if phonetically, it's Pook. Are they ever just you like know? you're? Lo- you're my little Pook champ. Pooks, Pook champ. What? <laughs> no. Look at look at PWC. No, no, no. Wow. no, they call me Spoonson. They call me Spoon. Uh, oh, wait, wait. Spoon. So people do call you Spoon. Okay. I don't know if Lemon told you, but uh, I've had to practice. Uh, and and this is because I'm just so incomprehensibly bad at retaining names. But uh, I was like, oh yeah, uh, Lemon, can we get Spooner on the show? He's like, what? Oh my goodness. But like, Luke has just a habit of just like getting every name wrong at some point. I've <laughs> forgotten my girlfriend's name by the end of a sentence before, so I'm pretty bad with names. Sweats. <laughs> it's pretty embarrassing. Um, yeah, it's just one of those things that like that just doesn't stick to my brain. Like, as if like names are so are, are too arbitrary for me to be able to like understand them. Mm. You know, when you assign arbitrary things to other things, like yeah, that's just. Yeah, you know, this desk is a is a B seven. Why? Yeah. <laughs> because it's like, oh, how am I supposed to remember that? But like, apparently, having I don't know, Lemon be like Connor or something. I mean, not that his name would be Connor. That'd be stupid. Um, <laughs> it's definitely not Connor. I learned that the hard way. <laughs> I'm being doxed. <laughs> being doxed by Spawner. The Spawner. Help! I'm being spawn camped. <laughs> spawn camped. <laughs> I think there, you had like a tweet a while ago that was about like the disambiguation of your name, and there was like some people think your name is sponsor or uh, etc. Yeah. Why do you think all non-binary people are are nouns? Like we just can't be bothered to think of like some weird name of that, like James. What even is that? You know? Yeah. Why do we call them Slim Jims? Why don't we call them Slender James? Right? <laughs> yeah. Slender James. Ah, yes, I'd like one Slender James, please. Uh, hmm. You know, I think we need to bring imprinting back, but instead of like the conventional thought, I think parents should just name their children after the first thing they see after they give birth. I mean, that's why my name is Milk. You know, it's just simple. (laughs) (laughs) We'd be calling a lot of people doctor then. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. Uh, (laughs) This is my, my newborn son, Scrub. Scrub. But name remembering aside, yeah, all your stuff is right there in the show link links. So go take a Perfect. peek, people. Yeah, if, even if you don't enjoy it, you know, erotically, you uh, you might enjoy it artistically. 
Oh, for which sure. Which is my hope. Yeah. Um, you know, I always say that uh, infomercial has a little bit more than just eroticism for everyone to enjoy. And that holds very true here. The The quality of your work is. I mean, I, I couldn't think of words just there because it's so good. So I think that silence speaks for itself. Is there any wise words you want to leave with our audience, Sponson? Uh, let's see. There, I was actually just uh, wanted to bring up this great quote by this um, Japanese hentai artist, uh, Henmaru Machino. I don't know if I pronounced that correctly. That's right. Um, But one of his quotes, uh, you know, when he had a gallery full of his erotic works was uh, in response to criticism that it was just porn was how can it be porn if it couldn't possibly be real? What are we sexualizing? Right. And uh, that's that's stuck with me for a very long time. How we interpret things, even if those things couldn't actually be. Wow. Mm. If only Maplethorpe heard that. It really makes you think. It does. (laughs) What is reality? (laughs) Right. Exactly. As far as it all goes and for everyone listening, and for for Sponson, who thank you so much for for coming onto the show. It was a pleasure. Thank you very much for the Sponson. Good luck on your erotic endeavors. <laughs> Good night. Good night. The magic of editing will make you sound amazing. <laughs> ah, wonderful. Can you like lower my voice and octave? <laughs> make me sound real sexy. I'm actually just going to cut all your audio, put it into like a, a text to speech, and then have Samuel L. Jackson's like AI bot read it. I don't know, you have to make it Miku. <laughs> put heavy reverb on it as well, so just so he sounds epic, you know? Yeah. <laughs> I, I'm essentially going to make your voice the audio equivalent of a Fortnite dance. Awesome. God.